The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 11 That Old Faded Midnight February 2002 Crown and I talked more the night that we came back from Sand Dollar House. I found him on my porch, drinking coffee and listening to something on his laptop through a pair of huge headphones. It was no longer weird for me to find Sam or Crown hanging out in some forgotten corner of my apartment. If I'm reading the situation right, it seems like the four of us basically share the two apartments during the day, with all of us returning to our separate quarters at night. It's a little weird for me. I've never been close enough with anyone else to have a key to their apartment. But if I was honest with myself, I guess I kind of liked the sitcom-y type vibe. Hey, Crown. I stepped out onto the porch and took a seat across the table from him. How can you drink coffee this late? Crown took off his headphones and closed his computer part way. I'm pretty immune at this point, he said. What are you working on? Just going over some of the audio I recorded at Sand Dollar House. Oh, for the paper? I asked. He shook his head. No, for a personal project. I wasn't sure what he meant by personal project, so I kept asking questions. Did you get anything interesting? Crown appeared to hesitate for a moment and then passed the headphones to me. I recorded some audio while we were in the house. I was looking for EVPs, electronic, voice phenomena. I finished his sentence for him, and when he looked slightly surprised, I said, AV major, remember? Plus, I have an aunt who thinks she's a medium. Crown nodded. Yeah. Well, these particular EVPs, the ones I recorded at the house, they're... they're interesting. Crown handed me his headphones. I put them on, and Crown pushed a button on his laptop. At first, all I heard was some very mild static. The sort of ambient noise you would expect from recording in a very quiet room. I was about to take off the headphones and tell him to turn up the volume when I started to hear something. It was very low and very quiet, and for a moment I thought I might be imagining it. But then it got louder and even lower. I frowned and pressed the headphones closer to my ears. It was a voice, though it was impossibly deep and low. And it was more than that. The voice was singing. I couldn't make out clear words or even syllables. I suppose it could have been singing in another language, but it might have just been singing notes without words at all. I looked at Crown. He was leaning forward, watching my reactions. I listened for a few more minutes and then slid the headphones down around my neck. Did you hear anything? He asked. Still a journalist, even in discussions about haunted houses. Singing, I replied. It was 
really low, really deep. I couldn't hear the words, and I, I, I guess I'm not even sure if it was a man or a woman. Crown nodded and typed a few things into his computer. Did you write that down? I asked, leaning over to look at his screen. Sorry, he said. He actually looked a little sheepish. No, no, it's it's fine. Uh, I'm just curious what you're doing. Are you... Do you hunt ghosts? Like, is more than a summertime hobby? He looked almost apologetic, and I thought it was the least confident I had ever seen him. Because if you do, I want in on that, I said, hoping to put him at ease. Just because it was surprising didn't mean I thought it was abnormally weird. I actually thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. It's not really something you advertise if you want to be taken seriously as a journalist, he said. Then again, I like to think that I apply the same rigor to paranormal investigations as I use in my work for the paper. I nodded. So what do you think is going on down at Sand Dollar House? I asked. I don't know. I've only gone a couple of times, and I don't have the access I want. Mindy keeps us on a pretty short leash. That audio is weird, though, I said. He nodded. What's particularly strange about it is that even though it clearly sounds like a human voice, it hits a register far below any known human voice. Hmm, so you're saying humans shouldn't be able to sing that low, I said. That made sense. I thought it sounded way too deep to be real. Exactly, he nodded. I stayed on the porch for a while longer, listening to a few more clips and asking Crown a few more questions, all the while feeling like my life was in the middle of taking some strange turn. I didn't know what the consequences would be, and I wasn't particularly sure that I liked it. But I knew that I liked being out here on my porch with the heat lamp above us and the sounds of the ocean crashing in the background. May 9th, 2002. A few months passed and one night I found myself walking home even later than normal. I walked home with the water to my right and the never-ending expanse of trees to my left. I couldn't help but think that this town was a refuge, with its streetlights barely holding off the twin eldritch terrors of the forest and the sea. Call it dramatic if you want, but you try being out at five in the morning all alone when the side streets look like the yawning mouths to demon caves. Seriously, give it a try. I'll wait. Right now, I didn't want to think about scary. I didn't want to think about the face in the window at my studio at the beginning of the quarter. I didn't want to think about the shadow figure outside the window at Sand Dollar House. I didn't want to imagine a world where ghosts might be real. For one thing, it seemed really dumb. For another thing, it was freaking terrifying. The air hung heavy with rain, but like water puddling in the gutters, it had yet to commit and spill over. My first couple days here, I had trouble telling the difference between rain in the air and a simple ocean mist. After a while, though, I figured out the difference. When it's about to rain, you feel damp, but you don't feel the droplets collecting on your skin. If you're holding paper, it goes limp. You might find yourself sweating in spite of being cold. Tonight was a rain sky. 
I found myself faced with a classic dilemma. Beat the rain home by taking a shortcut, or risk getting caught in a storm because I was a scaredy cat who didn't want to walk down a dark alley. I chose the shortcut, almost to prove to myself that I could do it. The quickest way home was along the back roads, back behind Amherst Street in the residential part of town. I would have found it creepy on a normal night, but tonight, oh, tonight I could almost feel the tension on the air. The pines blocked out the sky and the weeping willows draped their branches all the way down to the sidewalk, forcing me to clear a path for myself just like Sleeping Beauty trying to get out of her castle. Still, I bit the bullet and just walked faster. It was especially dark back there tonight. Most of the neighbors don't keep their porch lights on for some reason. I shivered, speeding up, pushing branches and vines out of my way and trying to find something happy to think about. My brain immediately went to hot chocolate with Sam on the night we all played ghosts. I didn't like that my brain went there. I liked Sam and everything, but I was beginning to feel the roots of friendship growing, and I wasn't sure I wanted that. Friends, with a lowercase f, are good. They help stave off boredom and loneliness. You can form awesome little mutually beneficial ecosystems. But friends, with an uppercase f, that's a whole different story. You share your soul with that kind of friend, and... If you're not careful, you become tethered to a time and place. I couldn't afford to be tethered here after graduation. So I pushed the thought of sitting in the gas station out of my mind, even though it helped, and the lonely road flooded my thoughts again. The truth is, I've had to fight hard against fear for my whole life. I'd come up with some coping mechanisms, some of which actually worked pretty well. I always jammed my bed up against the wall so that I knew for a fact nothing was going to slip up behind me in the dark. In the shower, when my brain started replaying some of the creepier water-related moments from old scary movies, I sang to myself. When I was out late at night on a devastatingly lonely street, sometimes I thought about my dreams. I wrapped my arms tightly around myself, and instead of this dark, bone-chilling street, I pictured the version from my dreams. It looked a lot like this place, but there were strings and strings of lights running along the eaves of the roofs, and the streetlights reached all the way back here. Charlie had been in my dreams last night. She had asked me what she was doing there, almost like I had summoned her and almost like she had a brain of her own and I hadn't known how to answer. After a moment, I had told her that she was there to help me watch for ghosts. So, I'm a bodyguard now, she said. Sure, if you uh, want to call it that. We had walked along in silence for a while. I dreamed that the stars were unusually bright that night. In my dream, she turned and looked at me and suddenly seemed almost accusatory. You know that I'm not really here, right? She asked. Sure, whatever, I replied. Just don't forget. That had been such a strange thing to dream. Her words hung in the air for a moment, and then she dissipated into the mist. The dream itself hadn't been scary, but now that I was out here alone at night, 
The memories made me feel weird. I stopped thinking about it and focused on the street ahead instead. Over the last few seconds, the deep, peaceful darkness of the night had brightened, almost without me noticing it. Now, I looked up and realized that I was approaching a small house mostly obscured by trees. Through the trees, I could see the watery red and blue lights of an emergency vehicle, flickering like flame. There was no accompanying siren, and the lights were still, leading me to believe that the cars had already arrived at their final destination. A million different scenarios ran through my head. There were a lot of older people in this town. Maybe one of them had simply aged a little more than all the rest. I hoped it wasn't the nice retired guy who sold toy airplanes made of soda cans. I crossed the street toward the lights as if pulled in by their glow. There was caution tape up already, which suggested that I was already way late to this party. Three police cars and an ambulance lined the street outside of the small one-story cottage. Honestly, I didn't even know we had that many cop cars in Burning Rock. As I approached, I recognized a familiar figure outside of the police tape. Crown was standing a few yards away from everything else, peering around the hood of the ambulance. It made sense that he was here, of course. I'm pretty sure he's the town's only real reporter, in spite of the fact that he mostly writes for the school. Something told me this wasn't a normal death or accident. I had asked Lana about crime when I moved here, and... She had practically laughed at me. We don't have crime. We don't even have accidents, she had said. It had been reassuring at the time, giving me confidence to walk down the street at four in the morning without worrying about anything that could actually hurt me. I should have realized it was too good to be true. So there was Crown, leaning over the police tape, craning his neck to see beyond the ambulance. I stepped up beside him and pulled my scarf tighter waiting for him to notice me. It took a long time. He was scribbling notes and talking into a tape recorder at the same time, and I found the multitasking fairly impressive. He must have seen something. From where I was standing, I couldn't see anything at all. He looked very different than he had this morning. Instead of his sweats with the phrase, read more, written up the side, My apartment neighbor was wearing tidy blue jeans, sensible loafers, and a gray sweater with literal elbow patches. I thought he looked like the perfect marriage of a college student and a college professor. All he was missing was that sharp white collar and the bow tie. Overall, he possessed a quality that suggested he had just arrived from 1920s Britain, and I might have taken more time to mentally riff on that if he hadn't finally turned around and seen me. He didn't seem surprised. What are you doing here? Again, he sounded weirdly calm. I thought you would have been home an hour ago. Just walking home late, I replied. What's going on here? We don't really know yet, but I think we're about to find out, he said. The cops just went inside. He turned back to the scene, obviously intent on not missing anything. Why are they here? I asked. I called him. Why? What happens? Crown started scribbling in his notebook again, but kept talking to me at the same time. I was walking home too, 
he said. Just sent tomorrow's paper to print. Which, it turns out, is unfortunate because this is front page news for a town like Burning Rock. Anyway, I was walking home and I saw Brad's light on. I went to check it out. My stomach dropped. This was Brad's house. I actually knew Brad. That made the small town drama so much worse. So what did you find? I asked. Crown looked around as if to make sure that no one was watching, and then he lifted the crime scene tape. He stepped underneath it and held it up for me to follow. When I hesitated, he looked both ways again and then pulled me underneath it. We snuck around the back of the ambulance and poked our heads around the doors, looking past the vehicles toward the house. From here, we had a clear view of Brad's front door. At first, I didn't understand what we were looking at, but after a moment, I realized there was something smudged against the bright white door. Is that blood? I whispered. Either it's blood, or someone went through a lot of effort to make it look like blood. October 2007 When I think back to how many friends I made that first year, it seems crazy. Especially when I consider how much my social life has stagnated in the last five years. I can't remember the last time I met someone new whose name and life story actually stuck with me after the initial introduction. The people that I care about, the people who are still here, they're the ones that I bonded with over pain and fear and regret. And while I do sometimes miss the concept of bright, carefree, summer kind of relationships, I can't deny that these roots run deep. And I don't think I would trade them. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>